0: to put your imagination on this morning but imagine what it would be like if um, you lived in the path of hurricane irma or um, harvey and uh, you never heard the weather forecast you never knew it was coming and uh, so you didn't prepare for it nobody told you uh, that this storm was coming or worse yet somebody told you that you know what Uh, there was a storm, but it went out to sea, and you don't have to worry about it. Don't think about it, and uh, you'll be just fine, and uh, you believe them, and so you didn't prepare at all, and uh, all of a sudden the storm hit, and uh, you were totally unprepared. You know years ago when weather forecasts were not informed by satellite, um, thousands of people would die in a storm uh, of the magnitude that uh, Irma was, and um, (coughs) simply because people just didn't know ahead of time. And so because they didn't know, they didn't prepare. Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that God warns us over and over and over again in the scriptures that there's a major storm coming against the world. Uh, It's even been named already. It's called the Day of the Lord. The Day of the Lord. And it'll be a massive uh, storm the day of the Lord, and it's a period of time when the unbridled judgment of God against everything that's wrong and everything that's sinful and evil and so forth will be unleashed. Uh, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 24, um, described uh, this day like this, in Matthew 24, 21, and 22, uh, for there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, and never will be. The absolute worst storm ever. And then Jesus goes on to say in verse 22, uh, if those days had not been cut short, if God didn't put an end to that storm, no human being would be saved. Okay? But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. And then he goes on to explain how those days will be cut short. It'll be the worst time ever. And, um, You know, all kinds of descriptions about this day are in the Bible, uh, both Old and New Testament, especially in the book of Revelation, and uh, it's the final uh, venting, if you will, of God's wrath on all that's wrong, on all that's unrighteous, on all um, that's evil. And every once in a while, you know, somebody will ask me, you know, if God is so holy and God is so powerful, why doesn't he do something about all the evil that's in the world? And I always say, well, you really ought to read his book because he promised that he is going to do something about all the evil that's in the world. And in his book, he explains why it is that it's not happening today and that it's reserved for the future. And so it's important to uh, allow God to speak to us about this event. Um, God uh, goes on, Jesus goes on here in Matthew chapter 24 And uh, you know what he says? He says, this day, the day of the Lord, is going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. Now, everybody knows the story of Noah, right? That God got so upset with the world that he finally decided he was going to destroy the world. And so, but Noah was a righteous person, and God decided that he was going to save Noah. Uh, Jesus uh, puts it like this in uh, verse 37 of uh, Matthew chapter 24. Um, As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus is saying, listen, think back to the way it was in the days of Noah and that is exactly how it's going to be uh, in the day of the Lord when Jesus returns. God rescued Noah before his judgment wiped out the whole world. And um, this event of God's rescue of uh, his people before the day of the Lord is called the rapture. The word rapture just means rapid. It's the gathering together of God's people and taking them off of the earth, Uh, before this terrible time of judgment comes, simply because as we sang this morning, Jesus already bore the judgment in our place, and we will be spared or saved uh, from that terrible time. Just like God rescued Noah, he will rescue or rapture uh, the true church. Uh, We have more detail about this in 1 Thessalonians uh, and I know you don't remember this because we started this way back in you know uh, the beginning of this year. But in First Thessalonians chapter four, and verse fifteen, we have a detail of kind of how this is all going to go down. And so here's what's going to happen. Um, verse fifteen: For this we declare to you, Paul is saying, by a word directly from the Lord. This isn't my conjecture. This isn't secondhand. This is off the lips of Jesus. Paul is saying, we declare this to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive and left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep or died. Okay? Uh, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them "...in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord." Therefore, encourage each other uh, with these words. Now, think about that for a minute. Whether you're still alive or whether you've already died, this day is in your future. This day is going to happen. And here's the Lord telling us about it, uh, warning us about it, giving us time to prepare for it and so forth... And uh, if you put your trust in Jesus, this day is in your future. It's pretty exciting. I mean, I'm looking forward to this day already as, uh, you know, to, to see people who've already died once again. And, uh, you know, just imagine what this day is going to be like. Um, I really miss some people because they've already died. And, uh, you know, something like this already happened once in history in uh, Matthew chapter 27. I don't know if you remember this, but um, when Jesus was here the first time, uh, after he died on the cross, a remarkable thing happened. Nobody seems to talk about it very much, but um, in Matthew chapter 27, you know, as soon as Jesus died, uh, we read this, behold, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split and the tombs also were opened And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep or died were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So can you imagine that? I mean, you know, you're in Jerusalem, you're making supper, and somebody knocks on the door, and you answer the door, and there's mom and dad. Hey, what's for dinner? What would you do? I mean, it's going to be a day like that. And we have a precedent for it here after Jesus' first coming. But when his second coming comes, uh, this will be on a much wider scale. And just imagine what that would be like. And, you know, you might say, well, gee, I wish somebody would have told me about it. I'd be looking forward to it. It would create hope inside of me like we just sang about hope being our portion as Uh, The children of God and being able to live with hope. You know, death for us is just like a parenthesis. It's just like for a little while, you know. It's a parenthesis. Death has been defeated. You know, when I was a kid, I remember uh, kneeling down by my bed every single night for years. And my parents taught me to pray this prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And then it was, uh, you know, God bless mom and dad and grandma and nana and paca and, you know, your sisters and da-da-da-da-da and a whole line of things. And, you know, like Brittany's trying to teach us, you know, there's this adoration of God, this recognition of who he really is. There's this confession and so forth. But after years of praying that prayer, I realized that, you know, uh, someday I'm gonna die and I don't know when and it could be tonight and uh who knows what goes on when you're asleep right I also learned that my soul was the most important part of me now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep that God was most interested in my soul you know and um if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. My soul, whatever that was, I had no clue, of course, uh, whatever that was, was really important. And so, um, you know, I think that um, it's important for us now we learn that there's this day of the Lord coming, this judgment that's coming from God, this kind of massive death. I mean, there's massive numbers of people who perish in all of this. And, uh, but we don't know when. You know it's going to happen, and uh, not only that, but um, I also learned that there's this rescue, this rapture, this this promise that God makes that not everybody's going to go through that horrible time, and that those of us who are His family and who are His friends that will be rescued out. But we when when is that going to happen? And so the Bible continues on in First Thessalonians, in chapter five. And uh, Paul writes to this church, you know, who's confused about some of these things that are going to take place. And look what he says. Concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Well, how does a thief in the night come? Unexpected. Totally uninvited and unexpected. And uh, he says, you know, that day will come. Uh, like a thief in the night. And look at this. While people are pretty much saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them, like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. A thief in the night. The, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, and it'll be a total surprise to the world. To the world. And you know, uh, well, let's read the next verse, verse 4. But you, Christians, you, church, you, believers, but you are not in the dark, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. It's a huge difference between the world, who pretty much ignores God's word and what God has to say, especially when it comes to prophecy and think it's all fantasy, And the church, who actually dials in and listens to God's word. Huge difference. And uh, for a long time, I think, um, people read up to verse 3 and didn't read verse 4. And uh, there was a whole theology about the Lord's coming back uh, that had uh, this idea that nobody would know. Thief in the Night. I can remember as a kid seeing a movie entitled The Thief in the Night. And by and large, you know, it said that all of us would be shocked by the coming of the Lord. But Paul specifically says, hey, look, that's not for Christians. The world will be surprised, but we're informed. Somebody warned us about the storm that's coming. And somebody promised us that there would be this deliverance right before it. And so we are not like the rest of the world that the Lord's coming should be like a thief in the night uh, for us. Uh, It'll be just like in Noah's day. God informed Noah a long time before what he was up to. And uh, Noah knew and Noah obeyed and Noah was prepared. Took him a long time to be prepared. uh, The majority of his lifetime. Um, But uh, most people during that time will be thinking peace and security, Jesus said. Most people will think, hey, this is really a great time to be alive. There's a lot of peace in the world. I feel very secure, and so forth. And then the day of the Lord will come. And the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Uh, but Christians who listen to God and uh, sort of know the forecast, uh, we live by a different standard. We live by faith, and we live by love, and we live by hope. And uh, Paul goes on in this uh, passage of scripture, we pick up in verse 8, but since we belong, To the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Faith and love and hope, the three non-negotiable absolutes of the Christian life. But then he says this, for God has not destined us for wrath. God has not destined his people for the day of the Lord, for wrath, right? The day of his wrath. But instead, to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage each other. We're different than the world. We have something to offer the world. We live with an optimistic hope about the future and confidence that we know what's coming. And we know what God is going to do for us and so forth. We have the forecast straight from the lips of the Lord and so we live by hope right Uh, someday by the power of his word the Lord is going to return and in an instant he's going to raise from the graves uh, those who loved him kind of like he did in his first coming and uh, they'll be lifted out of the gravitational pull of the world to meet the Lord in the air and we will always therefore be with the Lord remember those verses in in chapter 4 and and verse 16 through 18. This is just a great day to imagine in your heart. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, a command, the voice of an archangel, the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise up, and then we who are alive and our left will be caught up, caught up. Uh, some of your Bibles might say rapture, uh, caught up. It's like a rapid, uh, instantaneous happening that's going to, Uh, Happen uh, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and we'll always be with them from that point on we'll meet the Lord on that day and that's the promise that God makes to us and that's what the scriptures uh lay out for us and so it's a great encouragement to us and so when Jesus returns right the first order of business will be to gather together and he says the same thing in um he says the same thing in 2 uh, Thessalonians, where we are. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the first couple of verses. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to have come from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come. The people in this church thought because of the things that were happening to them, the persecution, uh, people were dying, they had hard times, and they thought, wow, this must be the day of the Lord. It's such a terrible day. And uh, wow, we missed out on the promise that God said he was going to get us out of here before that day came. And so Paul's addressing that particular issue, the timing of the rapture of the church and the day of the Lord. And this is an extremely important passage of Scripture Uh, to factor into your own thinking about these things because uh, there's been a lot of confusion in the church and this uh, particular passage, I think, uh, contributes a lot uh, to straighten out some of the confusion that uh, a lot of people uh, live with when it comes to end time events. And so Paul says, look, you know, um, uh, verse three, let nobody deceive you in any way for that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless two things happen. The rebellion comes first Okay, And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. There's a figure that the Bible talks about called the Antichrist. And this uh, worldwide, strong, powerful political figure Uh, There's coming a day when he will uh, make himself out to be God and seek to uh, rule over the whole world. And the day of the Lord will not come until that happens first. And uh, there are a lot of implications of what Paul has to say here. Uh, This rebellion or this falling away, the word rebellion uh, in the Greek is apostasia. uh, And we translate it into English, apostasy. Apostasy. Um, and it just means a falling away. It, uh, it means um, uh, to forsake something. It means uh, to defect or to revolt or to go AWOL, if you will. Uh, it's a total abandonment of something. Um, and this word uh, is only used one other time in the scriptures. It's used here. And uh, this word is only used one other time in Acts chapter 21, where the apostle Paul is being accused by Jewish people of telling people to apostatize against uh, Moses. Because Paul was saying, look, you know, give up trying to be right with God by the law. You'll never make it. The law is just designed to lead you to Christ, to help you understand that no matter how good you try to be, you'll never be what God created you to be. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And so Paul would say, you know, turn away from the law of Moses and to the grace of God, like we sang about the choir sang for us this morning. Rejoice in the grace of God, and so uh, the Jewish people accused Paul of um, uh, teaching the Jewish people to apostatize or to turn away from their faith, and um, that's what this means, the rebellion or the apostasy that's talked about here, in my judgment anyway, is speaking about the Jewish nation of Israel, okay, abandoning the God of their fathers and God's covenant with Abraham and their hope in a coming Messiah, and instead, putting their faith in this figure called the antichrist in the bible it's rebelling against everything they know better uh, about and uh, embracing this antichrist and a political solution to the Mideast east conflict instead of the spiritual solution that god has held out to them from the beginning of time and this antichrist as you know you know will make a deal with israel uh, which by the way since 1948 became a possibility Uh, I think uh, Israel reconstituting as a nation constitutes like a biblical scale miracle. It's never happened before in any country that's been as decimated as Israel was to be able to come back together and to be recognized as a nation again. And so at some point in the future, we expect some kind of seven-year deal to be made by this Antichrist in which the promise will be to protect Israel from their enemies and so forth. And then exactly in the middle of that seven-year period that Daniel tells us is left for the Jewish people, um, this Antichrist will renege on his promise, set himself up to be God in the temple, and demand the worship of uh, people all over the world. And you also notice in these verses, uh, not only will there be this rebellion then on the part of the Jewish people, but also, I mean, think of it today, if this were to happen today, Uh, many people in Israel would be happy to have some kind of solution, right, to the Mideast conflict. And if somebody rose and made this promise, somebody powerful and mighty and and this coalition of nations, ten nations, you know, um, coming and making this promise, the majority of the people in Israel will go for it. Uh, Not all, uh, Daniel 9.27 says many, not all, uh, will sign on. But also notice the second thing in these verses uh, not only will the rebellion have to happen, but this guy will have to be revealed for who he really is in the midpoint of the seven seventieth week of Daniel or the seven-year period that's left for the Jewish people for God to uh, bring them to Christ. And uh, we know from other scriptures that this happens exactly three and a half years to the day into that period of time and uh, sets himself up to be God. And Jesus says that event triggers what he calls Jesus He calls it the great tribulation. Uh, That'll be the time when, unless you bow down to this uh, person, uh, you won't be able to buy and sell unless you take the mark of the beast and all of that in Revelation chapter 14 that talks all about that. Uh, Jeremiah said this will be called the day of Jacob's trouble. Uh, The Jewish people will realize the true identity of the one they made a deal with, and uh, the Bible says they'll recognize they made a covenant with death that they're about to go down and to go under, and until Jesus comes and rescues them, there will be no hope. And this event, again, sets off what Jesus calls in uh, Matthew chapter 24, uh, the great tribulation, Matthew 24, 15. um, When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, Daniel talked about this, Jesus talks about this, Paul talks about this, this is going to happen. And when it happens, uh, Jesus said, when you see that happening, man, get out of town because it's going to be bad. Uh, And then he says, for there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now and never will be. And uh, if those days had not been cut short, no flesh would survive. And uh, those days will be cut short, Jesus goes on to explain Uh, He says in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds uh, from one end of heaven to the other. And there'll be this rapture of the church, this gathering of the elect uh, from the four uh, corners of the world. And what a great day that's going to be. Now, if all of this seems kind of fanciful and, you know, kind of um, surreal to you, you should know uh, that in 168 B.C., after Daniel, but before Jesus came, um, there was a guy, a Syrian general. Uh, under the Grecian Empire Uh, three passages of scripture talk about him a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes okay and uh, this is a little bit of history Uh, he's referred to in three different passages of scripture he's a prefigurement of this antichrist figure and um, he's uh, talked about historically in the book of Maccabees in one of the uh, intertestamental books Uh, But he's an illustration of the coming of this Antichrist. Hanukkah is directly tied, the celebration of Hanukkah is directly tied to this period of time in Israel's history. He tried to um, assimilate um, the Jewish people into the worldly Greek culture by having them apostatize, throw off, revolt against everything Jewish. And so uh, many people in Israel went for it because they were after peace. And so a number of things happened. Um, They were not to speak Hebrew anymore, but to speak Greek. Uh, They were to wear different clothes that were uh, part of the Greek culture. They were to uh, change their philosophy of life, their education of their children. They were to worship different gods. No circumcision of babies was allowed anymore. Uh, The prefigurement of Antichrist. And then eventually this guy, as you might know, uh, sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple the ultimate abomination, and uh, I think that's where the word comes, the abomination of desolation, and this Antichrist sets himself up and demands to be worshipped in God's uh, place, the abomination. It's a prefigurement uh, of the Antichrist. Not everybody in Israel fell for it, but the majority, the many, uh, did. And, uh, and then if you know the story of Hanukkah, that's kind of the rebellion that took place to uh, get Israel back. Now, in addition um, to all of that, we know that these events in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 are tied directly to the seven-year period of time left for God to deal with Israel. And so when Jesus does return, Israel will finally recognize him as their Messiah, and uh, there will be the battle of Armageddon and uh, the victory and the restoration of the people and so forth. But Jesus' return happens in association with these seven years. So... I tried to uh, illustrate a little bit uh, what I'm trying to say here uh, to try to make it easier to understand, because I know it's confusing. I've been trying to study this for a long, long time, and so uh, the first uh, thing is that there's this seven-year period of tribulation called Daniel's 70th week, and it begins with the Antichrist signing some kind of a deal. I don't know whether that'll be public knowledge, and we'll all recognize it, or it'll be done behind closed doors, and we won't really know it, okay? Okay. Next slide. <clears throat> but we do know that exactly in the midpoint, exactly three and a half years into this, this uh, person will be revealed. Whether we know about him or not, uh, three and a half years into that, the whole world will know about him because uh, there will be all kinds of persecution and tribulation that will come out when he demands that the whole world worship him. Okay? Next slide. Um, And so uh, we have the deal which sets it off. We have the Antichrist being revealed. And Jesus calls then this the great tribulation. If you read Revelation 14, unless you take the mark of the beast, you can't buy or sell and so forth. Now, if you knew this and you were alive when this happened, what would you do? Well, I'd go to the store and get three and a half years worth of food and water and hide it someplace. I mean, you would be prepared. If you knew a storm was coming like this, you you would say, hey, I know what's going on here. And you would prepare for it. You would be able to survive. Um, Then there's the... um, Next slide. Uh, Jesus said, remember, uh, that period of time, that great tribulation, that's going to be cut short. And it's going to be cut short by Jesus coming back. Okay? And uh, when we don't know when. Nobody knows the day or the hour, but we know the season. We know, like, what God wants us to know. And so, uh, next slide. It'll be cut short. Now, here's a really important thing to understand. If this is a correct interpretation, you need to know uh, the first three and a half years and this great tribulation is Satan's wrath. This is the doings of Antichrist, Okay, and if you read the early part of Revelation, the seven seals that seal the uh, kind of the title deed to the world, that, uh, it coincides with all of this. Here's a big mistake that people make. A lot of people think the whole thing, the seven years is a period of tribulation, and don't distinguish between the different events that happen in that seven-year period. And they just call the whole thing, you know, the tribulation. But God is pretty specific about what's going on. This, the day of the Lord, is God's wrath, and this is what God has promised Christians we will never face. No place in the Bible does it say we will not face Satan's wrath and all that Satan can do. We all have testimonies of how Satan's come against our life, right? In different ways. So it's very important to realize because a lot of Christians think, well, I'll tell you what they think in a minute. Next slide. Okay, so there's there's basically three different positions on when the Lord is coming back. Okay, so most people think like this, the pre-tribulation rapture. Most people think, you know, that the church will be taken out before any tribulation comes into the world. Before these seven years start, called the pre-tribulation rapture. Now, I wish that those people were right. Right, Because it's no picnic to be up against Satan's wrath. This is Satan's last attempt to destroy God's creation, including his people. It's no picnic to be up against all of that. And I, I, I tell these people who believe that, and the majority of the church believes that, I hope you're right, but I think you're wrong. All right, There's other people who think, well, it'll be in the mid, right before Jesus says the great tribulation will happen, Jesus will come back here. And uh, he'll take us out because it's going to be great tribulation and the Antichrist. So, again, I don't think that's the right position. And then there's some people who are post-tribulationists who think that the church is going to be so powerful and so strong, it's going to convert the world, and we're going to make the world ready for Jesus, and then he comes back. Well, that doesn't seem to be working out too well. Then there's the newer kind of this, um, this pre-tribulation idea uh, is relatively new when you take all of church history came in the 1800s um and um the thinking today you know and and here's the thing about god his revelation his you know uh, we're told in the bible to uh, grow in our knowledge and so people understand that god's revelation is progressive like the longer human history goes the more we should understand so if you think about it, the people in the Old Testament, wow, they were really foggy on Jesus. But the people in the New Testament and us, we've got a really clear picture of some of those Old Testament prophecies and what they meant and how literal they were and everything else. We've, got, we've made progress in our understanding because God's revelation is progressive. And so today, uh, when we study uh, what God has revealed in prophecy, uh, the kind of the shift is moving toward... Understanding that there's a pre-wrath rapture and um, that the rapture uh, will happen, that the, the church will be delivered out of here, okay, on the exact same day as the day of the Lord starts. Now, remember Jesus said, um, it'll be just like it was in the days of Noah. So let me read uh, this little passage here in Genesis chapter 7. It says in the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventeenth day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and the rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons Shem and Ham and Jephthah, and Noah's wife and his three and the three wives of his sons. With them entered the ark. On the exact same day that the judgment of God fell, Noah and his family were saved on the same day. So the thought is if Jesus is telling us the truth, that on the same day that the day of the Lord begins, the rapture of the church happens right immediately before it on the same day. That the church is taken out of the world. Rapture means rapid, that's all it means. Like in an instant, this happens, and the people are raised from their graves, and the people who are still alive, uh, you know, are uh, caught up together with them. We're all out of here, and then the day of the Lord starts that day, and you can read about that in Revelation with the trumpet and the bowl judgments and so forth, and and all that's going to happen. Next slide. Oh, that's my last slide. never mind. Okay. Now, I hope that's a little helpful in trying to uh, get the relationship between things uh, because um, let me just read one other passage in Revelation. Uh, Revelation chapter 6 talks about that day and what it's going to be like just so, uh, again, we can be informed and know uh, nobody will miss that day. Here's, you know, and this is in the Old Testament. We could see where these, this is parallel. Jesus says the exact same thing. Uh, But here's the description in Revelation from John. Uh, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree uh, sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. Uh, The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place Uh, And Jesus warns us, you know, there'll be a lot of people before this who say they're the Christ, and he he warns us, don't follow them, don't listen to them. You know, you will know there'll be cosmic disturbances, the sun, uh, the moon, the stars, you know, uh, the sky. Uh, It'll be quite the event. And uh, what a day that's going to be. And so why does all this matter? How much time? Why does all this matter? Um, Why are we talking about this? Better yet, better question, why is God revealing this to us in the scriptures? Why does God write this stuff in his book? Well, again, since 1948, Israel became a nation and the possibility of these events became a reality. And uh, the Bible says, um, you know, that we are to discern the times in which we live. One of the terrible things that happened is when Jesus came the first time, his people didn't recognize him, right? They crucified him instead. That was all part of a plan. Uh, but there are several places where Jesus, you know, he weeps on uh, uh, Palm Sunday as he realizes his people don't recognize him. And lots of Christians uh, today just call that whole seven-year period tribulation, uh, but that's unwarranted. It's not biblical. There's no place where that is said to be in scripture and uh, when you think like that you fail to distinguish between satan's activity and god's activity during that seven-year period and that creates a lot of confusion satan's activity happens through the antichrist and all of his stuff and uh, god's activity happens through jesus and the day of the lord judgment and when you can't distinguish that it creates a lot of confusion Uh, when you don't distinguish those events and just label the whole thing tribulation Uh, you generally embrace the pre-tribulation rapture position. And uh, I personally think this is a huge deception by the enemy, Satan. It's like somebody telling you that the hurricane went out to sea and you don't have to worry about it. And if you believe the wrong thing, you won't be prepared. And uh, that'll be a, a very terrible kind of thing. Uh, believing that the church uh, will be raptured out before any of that occurred. And when you believe that, you know, you pretty much ignore what God has to say about it because you say, what the heck, I'll be out of here anyway. So who cares what's going to happen to uh, the world after I'm out, you know? And so we tend not to pay attention. There are whole churches who never touch the uh, subject of prophecy. Um, And so what does it matter? Uh, Well, it leaves us unprepared. And... um, just like the Jewish people in the first coming. And uh, again, this thinking is relatively young. 1830, it came about by a guy named uh, John Darby. And uh, he proposed this understanding of a pre-tribulation rapture, and we're all out of here before uh, any of this happens. And uh, what happened is it got into the Schofield Reference Bible, which was a very popular uh, Bible for a long time. And so this position uh, became very uh, popular And uh, it gave rise to the idea or the doctrine of imminency. The doctrine of imminency says Jesus could come at any moment. Nothing has to happen before Jesus returns. And again, Paul is saying right here in 2 Thessalonians, no, the day of the Lord can't happen until after the midpoint and after the Antichrist is revealed and so on and so forth. And uh, I can remember my parents uh, saying to me, you know, as a way of trying to keep me on the right track, you know, you better not do that. What if the Lord comes back when you're in the middle of that, you know, kind of thing. And, and, uh, you know, it was just that kind of thinking from the Schofield Bible that became very, very popular. And that's where this thief in the night thing took off because people failed to read their Bibles and distinguish between, yeah, it'll be like a thief in the night for the world, but not for us Christians. There are signs, There are things that are going to have to happen first. There are cosmic, you know, disturbances that have to happen before the Lord returns and before the day of the Lord uh, sets in and and so forth. And so all that to say that 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is a very key passage of scripture. Uh, I think the worst thing uh, about uh, the wrong timing of the rapture is uh, that there's a storm coming that's going to affect the whole world. And uh, it's Satan's last-ditch attempt to destroy the world that God made, and uh, we should be preparing for it. But if we are taught the wrong thing, that there's really no storm coming, and we really don't have to worry about it, um, then we're not going to be prepared, and that will be a terrible thing. Um, All the admonitions in the Bible for Christians to stand firm, uh, to uh, be faithful till, till the end, there are places... Uh, In Colossians and and other places where uh, Paul talks about those of us who will be saved are the people who will stay strong till the end and uh, will hang on to their faith, which must mean that there's going to be some threat uh, to our faith. And especially here in America, we're used to a pretty comfortable, uh, you know, not much persecution for our faith kind of a life. Like when's the last time we sang the song Onward Christian Soldiers Marching as to War? Like, well, what's the war thing about? Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I agree. Um, Let me just read one last passage and I'll be done, I promise. Revelation 19, which talks about the Lord uh, coming back. And this will be how it is. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, uh, his name is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. The world and God are on a collision course. There is coming a day when God will come against everything unrighteous and wrong. And we are either going to be on his side or not. And it depends on whether we trust him and listen to what he says. And we're ready. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Father, uh, we long to understand these passages of Scripture. Uh, We know that you've put them there in your word for a reason. And that there's going to be a generation at some point uh, for whom all of this will be their reality. And uh, I pray, Father, I just want to be faithful in presenting uh, the truth of these things so that we might know about this storm that's coming, that we might not be panicked or frozen about it. We know we're going to be delivered out of it before it comes. What a gift that is, our salvation from this very literal uh, wrath that's coming, not to mention the afterlife and heaven and hell and all of that. And I pray it would be a great comfort for us to simply know Uh, what's coming in the future, and that we would, uh, as a result, be prepared. I'm sure that all of us have uh, friends and family, maybe, uh, who don't know you, who aren't reconciled to you, who if this day were to be today, we'd be gone, and uh, all of these people would be left to face your wrath and would have no chance. And so part of that preparation, Father, is us being serious about, you know, leading people back to God, And uh, what can we do, Father, uh, and how sacrificial are we willing to be uh, to speak up and to share the good news of the gospel and the fact of the reconciliation that you're holding out to us as a gift through Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that we would be serious about that and that just a sense of urgency might come upon us as we understand everything's not going to stay the same as it is now forever. And that uh, from that urgency, Father, we would be changed in our desire to see other people reconciled to you before this horrible day of the Lord comes. May that be part of our preparation. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen.